One of the foremost Christian spokesmen in America today is Dr. Albert Moeller, who serves as the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And I am pleased to announce that he is our special guest today. Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. In my book, God's Prophetic Voices to America, which we published in 2017, I identified a total of 13 prophets God has raised up to call this nation to repentance and to warn it of impending destruction if no repentance occurs. Now, four of those were voices in the past, mainly beginning in the 1970s, and nine of them are current. One of those voices is Dr. Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. In my book, I called him God's prophetic voice confronting intellectuals. And I don't think anyone who knows him or his writings would dispute that title. Our associate evangelist and my designated successor, Colonel Tim Moore, recently sat down with Dr. Moeller in his office at the seminary and interviewed him about the culture war that is raging in our nation. A war which for him personally began when he was appointed the seminary's president in 1993 and was told to clean up the liberal mess that had developed there. Incidentally, throughout the interview there are references to what is called the briefing. That is the name of Dr. Moeller's daily radio broadcast in which he provides a biblical perspective on current events. Here now is Colonel Tim Moore. Many of you have recognized for some time that America is hurtling toward a moral precipice, willfully abandoning its Christian heritage and denying the very biblical worldview of our forebears. A generation ago, Robert Bork wrote a book entitled Slouching Toward Gomorrah, highlighting the dangerous trends that were already evident in the 1990s. Twenty years later, those trends have only accelerated. In 2017, Dr. Reagan published a book recognizing some of the prophetic voices that have been crying in the darkening cultural wilderness that is the United States. In God's prophetic voices to America, he highlighted 13 individuals who were boldly proclaiming the truth of God's Word into our national spiritual crisis, beginning with Peter Marshall in the 1940s. Today I have the privilege of seeking insight from one of those prophetic voices, Dr. Al Muller of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary here in Louisville, Kentucky. Christianity Today called him the leading intellectual of the evangelical movement in the United States. If I began to recite even a portion of the honors and accolades, let alone the books that he's written, Dr. Muller, I'd think we'd take up all our time. So without further ado, let me just thank you for sitting down with us and sharing your insights with our viewers on Christ and Prophecy. Thank Tim you very much. to be with you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Well, Thank you for allowing us to come here to the beautiful campus of Southern Theological Seminary. And uh, I want to begin really with asking you about your origins, how you came to be here, because yeah. we have witnessed over and over again 
that many Christian institutions, whether they're right. churches, denominations, even seminaries, have begun to abandon their scriptural foundations, even denying the Christ as He is revealed in the Word of God. Right. And so what has been your experience as you came to Southern and some of the challenges you faced early on, even in your yeah. tenure as president? Well, when I came to Southern as a very young man, I was 20 years old, it was a very liberal institution. Yes. And uh, I really didn't know that uh, because you wouldn't expect that of a school that was named the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, Southern Baptist, not a liberal people. No. But that just shows us the temptation, and you alluded to this, of higher education. The, the temptation is to move into a critical mode, which means eventually you distance yourself from the founding convictions that brought the school into being. And of course, this is a very old story. You can look to the European universities, all established within the Christian worldview and, and then growing antagonistic to Christianity. And in the United States, you can look at university after university, at the beginning, of course, most infamously with Harvard, yes. which was established for the training of Puritan ministers. That was the sole reason for its existence. And, uh, and, and then you look at the fact that uh, institution by institution, they, they followed the, same, the yes. same trajectory. And by the way, this is, uh, this is a modeling process. Uh, higher educational institutions want to look like the prestige institutions. Mm. You know, and so if, if the prestige institutions are the Harvards and the Yales and the Browns and the, the uh, Johns Hopkins, then uh, other schools want to look like that. Yes. And pretty soon you hire professors who look like that. And before you know it, you end up with a very liberal institution. And that's what happened to this seminary. Uh, conservatives in the SBC began to wake up to this in the 1960s and 70s, but it took them 20 years to gain control. And uh, they gained control in the very early 1990s when uh, a newly conservative board of trustees elected me as the institution's ninth president. And with a mandate uh, to bring this institution back to an unquestioned commitment to the faith once we're all delivered to the saints and, and to the Bible as the inspired and inerrant Word of God. I love that, uh, that quote from Jude. Uh, you referenced it uh, recently on yeah. the briefing, as you do often. Uh, and what were some of the challenges you faced? One of the challenges I faced is, look, all the accrediting agencies, uh, they're in the control of the academic elites. Uh, all the people who uh, control all the big foundations, uh, the prestige foundations, the really wealthy foundations in this country, they're, they're all on one side of the moral divide, the wrong side. Right. And so an institution that's going to stand for the Word of God and for the, the full conviction of the Christian faith is going to have to find a way to fund itself uh, outside those prestige sources. And uh, it's going to be fighting a, 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 a battle continuously. And of course, you know here locally, the local press declared war on us from the beginning. Oh, yes. At one point, you know, and of course I had sit-in protests uh, lasting 70 plus days. We had, you know, protest helicopters for national news networks wow. over the campus. and. Uh, it was just a huge news story, and they were quite certain they could shut us down. But thanks be to God, they couldn't. Well, I was going to say, under your leadership and through the Lord's blessing, mm -hmm. Southern, as a seminary, has grown to be the largest seminary in the United States. Yeah, actually the in the world. In, the in world. fact, right now, there are more young men training for the ministry here than have ever been at one place and one time in the history of Christianity. They said, if, if, if you bring this institution back to conservative theology, you'll scare all the students off. But it's the liberal schools that don't have any students. Yes. Uh, all the students you find training for ministry these days 
are actually in conservative institutions. And well, that, you'd think that would be a parable, wouldn't you? I would think so. Yeah. I see many parables like that in Scripture. Dr. Millar, I think you would agree that one of the greatest threats mm-hmm. to our religious liberty in 2019, and quite frankly, our constitutional order as a society, mm-hmm. as it stands, uh, at least today, is the accelerating sexual revolution. Right. So how did we get where we are today? How did we wake up and find that the pot's boiling? It's not just starting yeah. to increase in heat. When we ask the question, where did it come from? I think one of the things we have to recognize, uh, you know, Will and Ariel Durant, the famous historians who wrote the story of civilization, mm-hmm. they said that the first task of any civilization is to bank the, the raging river of human sexuality. I think that's absolutely right. You can't have a civilization without banking that river of human sexuality. So when you find society, you've always found marriage. You have found uh, respect for the family. You have found uh, both illicit and illicit sexual behaviors. And it's been important for the civilization to exist that those rules be understood. And uh, one of God's gifts to his people, his covenant people Israel, was that he gave them the most superior laws. Yes. You know, in the book of Deuteronomy, they say, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, God speaks through Moses to say, has any other people received laws like these? And it didn't mean, boy, this works out well. He meant, oh my goodness, evidently these are the laws that the Creator would give the creatures He loves. This is, this is what life is supposed to be about. The modern age has been an effort to try to undo all of that, uh, to try to unbank that river. Uh, to turn to the autonomous individual. By the way, that's the big shift. The big shift in yeah. the modern age is away from God as the ultimate reality to the human individual as the ultimate reality. And if the human individual is the ultimate reality, then I can determine whatever sexual morality I want. Uh, w- one historian looking at the modern age said that the whole modern age is this one long experiment in rationalized sexual misbehavior. So it, it's like uh, we have to understand that That human sexual misbehavior is not new. What's new is a society that says, we're going to commit suicide. We're we're going to say, okay, do whatever you want. We're going to say, everything's normal. We're going to say, marriage can be whatever you want it to be. We're going to break the most molecular unit necessary to civilization, the union of a man and a woman, and and the household that's created with the children that comes to them by procreation. Uh, We're going to break that and act like that's just a lifestyle choice. Now, you mentioned this by introducing the question as religious liberty. Yes. Well, there we have a huge problem because this new sexual set of liberties directly contradicts the teaching of Scripture. And by the way, uh, one of the interesting things is that wherever you find any religious system with a written set of rules, it's amazing that written set of rules it is not compatible with the sexual revolution. No, it's not. So it's it's it. That, again, I would attribute that to God's common grace. Just what He's revealed in creation yes. uh, the the unit of a man and a woman in marriage and and the necessity of legislating sexuality. Well, the problem is, what are the laws going to be? And uh, increasingly, the laws are going to be that we have to surrender uh, to the moral revolution or the sexual revolution, or we're going to be outlaws. And so that's that collision between the new sexual liberty and religious liberty. And in the United States, this should be particularly troubling to us because religious liberty is guaranteed in the Constitution. The very first of the amendments. That's right. It's what's called an enumerated right. Uh, And by the way, the federal government does not give us religious liberty. It respects and recognizes religious liberty. 
But sexual liberty, it's not even in the Constitution. It takes a liberal court, uh, you know, to come up with that. So we've got a huge collision, and uh, it's going to be tough going for Christians. We need to recognize that. Dr. Mueller, you were one of the original signatories of the Nashville Statement right. in 2017. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is yeah. about and what it has done in the last couple of years? Yeah, I was involved also in the drafting of that document. Yes. The need for it is, uh, is extreme. Um, from time to time, Christians have had to release a statement saying, this is what the church believes. And, uh, you know, in the very earliest years and centuries of the church, it was what the church has to believe about the person and work of Christ, uh, mm. the doctrine of the Trinity. But we're now at a point where the, uh, the intellectual rebellion around us is, is so widespread, we have to define what it means to be male and female. We have to define what it means to be a man or a woman. We have to define uh, sexual morality in an age of such horrifying confusion. And so the Nashville Statement is intended just to be that, a statement of a biblical uh, framework for sexuality and gender. We're in a society that, you know, is calling boys girls and girls boys. Mm. Uh, there so needs to be confusing. some document, and that's why that was put together. And by the way, there'll be new things we're going to have to address we don't even know of yet. I can only imagine, and uh, don't look forward to that day. No. I know that you have great admiration for Sir Winston Churchill, who yeah. seemed destined to lead his nation mm. and, and indeed throughout the world in World War II. You've also cited modern prophets such as Alexander Solzhenitsyn who lamented, men have forgotten yeah. God. What advice would those who have come before offer mm -hmm. us today, and do you see anyone with the clarity voice to shake the scales from the eyes of our society? You know, I think part of the problem in the last part of the question is that in the age of social media and um, the, the way cultural communication happens now, it's hard for there to be a single voice about anything. That's one of the problems. Uh, with uh, Churchill, one of the great strengths that Churchill brought was he could control the microphone. That's true. And uh, then he had something that, uh, that was worthy of saying. As would later be said of him, he marshaled the English language and sent it to war. He became the lion of the British people, or as he said, the British people were the lion, I just got to give the roar. <laughs> Uh, it's harder these days. I mean, I think of the great age of the past when, um, when, when people would, uh, would debate genuine ideas. These days we're down to 140 characters. So I think that's a part of it. But when you think about the Churchills and the Solzhenitsyns and the other prophetic voices of the 20th century, I think they would say, this is what we told you would happen. Hmm. You know, uh, one of the greatness of, uh, of Solzhenitsyn was when he said men have forgotten God, he said that at a speech given at Harvard University. Yes. And they were not very pleased to hear that. No, and they, they also weren't pleased that he drew the consequences saying, when you look at the United States and the Soviet Union, your cultural relativism falls apart. I was persecuted by one and rescued by the other. Yes. They're morally unequal, which uh, the liberals at Harvard had uh, been denying for a long time. That kind of moral clarity is what we desperately need today. I would agree with you absolutely that we lack for those voices, which is why it's so valuable, and as Dr. Reagan has identified, that we do have some prophetic voices. Now, much like John, they're crying in the wilderness because there's so much other clamor of noise, but I appreciate your voice, and through the briefing and other outreaches that uh, you have a great impact 
on our society and beyond, really worldwide. Well, I appreciate that. We have to keep speaking. We have to speak into the wind. Yes. Uh, when the winds howl at us the fiercest, we just have to talk louder. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Christians need to listen. I don't mean they need to listen to me. What I mean is they need to listen. They need to listen to discern the truth. And uh, I, I, I think that's becoming increasingly difficult. And quite frankly, I will add to that. They need mm -hmm. to listen and they also need to speak themselves. Yes. Far too often, I believe, many Christians have been silent. And you wrote a book yeah. saying, we cannot be silent. That's right. And so we cannot be silent in the midst of the noise. We have to speak clearly, sometimes boldly, right. lovingly, but always truthfully. And right. that is very important. Paul did not get into trouble for not preaching. <clears throat> no. And if you don't want to get into any trouble, uh, hide yes. in your room and you will not bother anyone, nor will they bother you. Well, and I know what you mean come. by that, but you know eventually they're going to find you in your room. <laughs> That's true. Because here's where our society is going. It's not just demanding that we silence the truth. They're going to demand what we call positive confession. They're mm. going to demand that we say what they command that we say. Embracing of the lie. Right. Yes, sir, I have seen that personally. I often ask people, if they could have imagined 20 years ago how fast and how far we would have fallen. Most folks yeah. cannot. What do you see as the cultural atmosphere of our society in 20 years and beyond if the Lord stays His coming? 20 years seems like a very long time, almost yes. eschatological, you know, when you think about it. But you've uh, been here 26 and I it's have. only a short I have, span. But you know, um, same-sex marriage, as it's called these days, it's been legal by court mandate across this country only since 2015. Uh, you know, so a child who's four was born before uh, the Obergefell decision legalizing mm -hmm. same-sex marriage. That's how fast this revolution's moving. If you just think about it, same-sex marriage uh, is now taken as a great moral fact in this society so much that you would think it had been in place 50 years ago. So when you ask me, I'll tell you, yeah, the thing's coming. We don't, I, don't, I don't have to have uh, a lot of insight to see this. Uh, polygamy, what's called polyamory. I mean, once you begin to redefine marriage, and we're way down that road, then eventually you can't say no to anyone's proposed revision. If consent is the only moral issue a secular society recognizes, then you can get over anything uh, in the name of consent, and, uh, and that's what we're going to see. And, and I think what perhaps is going to endanger Christianity in this country more than anything else is the realization and, and I'm trying to figure out how to say this in a way that Christians will hear. They have been and are now and will be coming for our children. Mm. They already are. And in the, in the future, they're going to be coming with new <clears throat> tools to use against us. They get to our children right now in ways no one had to worry about a generation ago. They get to our kids by smartphone, and by the way, we buy them and put them in the hands of our kids. Uh, mm. Say, here, 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 use this. Well, we are just inviting that hostile world to come in and take over their minds. Yeah. Uh, and then when we send them into any number of places, from schools to other places, we're saying we're just handing them over. And, uh, and they're coming for our children. They're, they're, they, they will, I, I predict, they will redefine child abuse or child neglect in such a way that parents raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord will be considered deficient parents. 
Well, you say they will. Actually, mm -hmm. that has already been proposed mm -hmm. in some circles, even in recent weeks and months, mm -hmm. by some who would declare that a parent or a couple raising their children mm -hmm. in Christian faith is somehow harmful to them, and therefore yeah. the state has a right to override even the wishes That's of right. its parents. And you see that right now, especially in the transgender situation, where uh, just across our border from Kentucky to uh, Ohio in Cincinnati, Cincinnati's not Seattle, you know, it's no. not Boston. Uh, but in Cincinnati, a judge removed uh, the, uh, the parents from custody and gave the custody of a child to grandparents because the grandparents would facilitate the transgender transition. The parents would not. Well, uh, th this leads to my next question, quite mm -hmm. frankly. As we witness mm -hmm. the world growing darker day by day, I'm reminded of what Pastor Adrian Rogers once said. Mm -hmm. uh, he used to say, it is growing gloriously dark. And he was referring yeah. to the sign of the times pointed to in Titus 2-3, which says mm -hmm. that we should look for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. As you sound an ominous note, and as we recognize the signs of the times pointing right. to an even darker future within our culture, society, globally, what do you say to people who are looking for hope as Christians regarding the things to come? Tim, you used exactly the right word for Christians. It's hope. And so people will often ask me, are you optimistic or pessimistic? And I say, neither. A Christian cannot be either. Uh, uh, we know too much about the world to be optimistic, uh, too much about sin. And, uh, but we know too much about God's purposes to be pessimistic. Mm. Uh, the Christian mode is not optimism or pessimism. That can, you know, wax and wane with our mood. It's hope. And that hope is Christ. Hope has a name. Yes. You know, Jesus Christ. Our blessed hope. Absolutely. And, and so we, we actually can, uh, can go to sleep at night with all these concerns so real, and we're not ignoring them. We're not denying them. We go to sleep at night because Jesus Christ is Lord and because He is coming. And because the coming thing is His kingdom, and the going thing is the kingdoms of this world. And so we just need to remind ourselves of that. And, and yet Christ has not yet come uh, to, to claim His church and to inaugurate His kingdom in full. And so evidently we are here right now for a purpose. And so that purpose is to do what Jesus commanded us to do until He comes. And uh, you know, the signs of the times are, uh, are incredibly ominous if, uh, if you're just looking at the world. But the signs of the times can never be ominous uh, for someone who reads the Bible and no. believes in Christ. Uh, they can be humbling, but not ominous. Well, I like what the Lord says over and over again when He encounters people who are called and who have demonstrated a faith. Mm -hmm. And he says, fear not. There is now no fear for us. Fear of the Lord, right. which means respect, but we should have no fear as believers. I actually right. like what C.S. Lewis referred to as believers living in enemy territory. Of course, this right. was in the, the era of World War II, but we are finding that the territory in which we reside Absolutely. is becoming more yeah. and more hostile. And we but, should be embarrassed that previous generations of Christians felt too much at home. You know, I think of uh, the end of the 19th century when uh, certain Christians in uh, both the United States and in Britain and in Europe thought that they were watching the kingdom taking shape here on earth. Yes. And you now look back with embarrassment and say those very same people went to war in the most murderous war imaginable in just a matter of years. 
Well, I cite quite frequently a Jewish proverb that says, if you think the world is going to end tomorrow, plant the tree today. And yeah. Dr. Mueller, I will say this, uh, even as someone who looks forward to the Lord's soon return, yeah. you have embodied tree planting. And what do I mean by that? You're not planting an arbor full of trees, literally, mm. but you are raising up young fruit bearers. And I think that's Amen. really what that proverb would have us to do. And right. so until the Lord does come, uh, many more will bear much fruit because of their interaction here at Southern, because of you pouring into them. Mm. And I include myself in that uh, blessed mm. number, but thank you very much for the time of sitting down with us today and reflecting on not just the signs of the times, but as you said, the blessed hope, which is not a concept, yes. it is a person, and that is Jesus Christ. Well, amen. It's been a privilege to talk with you, Tim, and uh, I think we've talked about things that really matter. Yes, we have, always. Thank you, sir, very much. God bless you. Godspeed. I want to thank my colleague, Colonel Tim Moore, for conducting this insightful interview with Dr. Moeller. Tim has been designated my successor and will be taking over the leadership of this ministry in September of 2021 if the Lord does not return first. And as you saw, he is very worthy of that call on his life. I also want to thank Dr. Moeller for granting us this interview in the midst of his very busy schedule. And I want to leave you with his reminder that a Christian should be both pessimistic and optimistic about the future. For, as he put it, we know too much about human nature in the world to be optimistic, but we know too much about the future to be pessimistic. And how do we know so much about the future? Through God's prophetic word. For example, we are told in Romans 8 verse 18 that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. Paul expressed the same statement and same sentiment in, in different words in 1 Corinthians 2.9 where he wrote, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the mind of man conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. The bottom line is that we have hope in Jesus and we should never get comfortable with this sin-sick world. Rather, we should be voices of righteousness speaking out in behalf of God's Word while simultaneously living with an eternal perspective because it will give us incredible hope. Well, that's our program for today. I hope it's been a blessing to you and I hope you will be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. I want to personally urge you to get a copy of my newest book titled, God's Prophetic Voices to America. This is my 16th book and I consider it to be the most important one I have ever written. It presents summaries of the prophetic messages of 13 people whom God has anointed to point out the sins of our nation and call us to repentance. Those people include four from the past and nine who are currently speaking out, warning our nation that we are headed for destruction if we do not repent. The voices of the past include Peter Marshall, David Wilkerson, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and Francis Schaeffer. And the current voices include Don Wildman, Jan Markell, Albert Moeller, and Jonathan Kahn, among five others. This is a book with a very urgent and vital message that both you and your pastor need to read. We can provide it to you for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. You can place your order by calling the number on the screen Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, or you can place your order through our website at lambline.com.
Christ in Prophecy is made possible through the faithful and generous support of viewers like you. Please consider making a donation to Lamb and Lion Ministries so that we can continue broadcasting the message of Jesus' soon return. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 